How's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 268. I had a conversation with Shirley Wainis, and she's an extraordinary human being in that she has been through some stuff, and yet she's smiley and happy and giggly, and there's this light around her, and not everybody deals with stress and trauma and tragedy the same way, obviously, but she certainly has met those obstacles and managed to maintain this, I don't even know how to describe it exactly, this glow. (laughs) Exceptional. She has been a trapeze artist. She was in a accident, a car accident that paralyzed her. She has had cancer. Uh, She has had many loved ones die, including a sibling. Uh, Just unbelievable stuff going on. And uh, we met through our mutual friend, Rich Baker, who has been on the podcast, friend of the podcast. And he said, you've got to meet her. She's extraordinary. She's been through all this stuff. I've never met anybody like her. She does Second City as well. So that's how she knows Rich and how I know Rich and how all those things come together. So... I'm really excited for you to hear this episode, if nothing else, than to say, keep going. Keep going. My God. I mean, it. the planet is a tough one. The trials and tribulations that we face are sometimes feel insurmountable, honestly, but keep going. She is living proof of that. I want to take a moment to let everybody know that Ben Ewing, who is on episode 256 just a few weeks ago, he came on the show to talk about his uh, terminal cancer diagnosis, and we had an incredible conversation. He passed away a couple days ago, and I just I wanted to let those of you know who listened to the show, who may have heard his episode, uh, he went, according to his family, he was sitting up and uh, just sort of died, so He went out courageously. He went out strong and sitting up. Well, I mean, that that makes sense. Ben will be missed. He was a lovely human being, a beautiful human being. I know he touched a lot of people in Nashville and beyond. And uh, he's been a dear friend and family to many people that I love. And uh, it's a big loss to the world when somebody like that goes because, you know, they just make it better by being here. So. Rest in peace, Ben, wherever you are. I'm sure that you're playing some awesome records and uh, you're going to see some incredible bands. (laughs) Okay, the usual stuff. Social media. Hey Human Podcast can be found on Facebook and Instagram. My personal social media is under Susan Ruthism. That's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. On heyhumanpodcast.com, you'll find a links page. Every episode gets a pile of links. Definitely go there and do a deep dive on every person that's ever been on the show. I, I promise you there are there are hours of entertainment on that links page for sure. Lots of really uh, great information, fascinating articles, books, links to my guests' websites and things and their social media. So please check that out when you have a second. Also there on HeyHumanPodcast.com is the store where you can buy Hey Human merch. That's a great way to support the podcast. 
uh, it's an ad-free podcast, so every bit of support helps. Another great way to support the show is to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are in the giving spirit and you feel like donating to Hey Human Podcast to help keep it ad-free, there's also a donate button there on the heyhumanpodcast.com. So if you want to learn more about me in other realms, uh, go to susanruth.com. You'll find all sorts of interviews and my artwork and music and all that kind of stuff. I was just interviewed on the uh, comic Joe Dungan's uh, show, and he does a YouTube show and stuff. So I got two episodes on there, and I stuck them on susanruth.com. So go check that out. You can also sign up on the mailing list on susanruth.com. And I'll send out those mailers every once in a blue moon just to keep you in the loop of things. A lot of stuff's coming up. So now is definitely the time to be on the mailing list if you have not uh, if you have not signed up yet. What else? Oh, I'm on iTunes and Spotify as a musician because I put out records and stuff. So you can find me under Susan Ruth that way. And I've actually got some new music coming up, so that's exciting. And also, I uh, just heard from a couple artists that I've written with that I've got some singles on their stuff coming up. So I will definitely keep you in the loop for that, because that's always exciting. All right. Thank you for listening. Be well. Be kind. Stay safe. Uh, you know, go out there and fight the good fight. Okay. Here we go. Shirley Wainis, welcome to Hey Human. Thank you for being here. Well, it's an honor. And it's I'm so nice so to have here. you. Thank you. It's great to be here and that you invited me is certainly an honor. Well, you come highly recommended as someone very interesting through our mutual friend, Rich Baker. Shout out to Rich. Rich has been on the show twice, once uh, as himself and once uh, he was very kind and, and was Santa Claus. For the Christmas episode. Oh, I, that was a I lot of fun. The one that, <laughs> I caught the one that he did uh, with you. The first one, I guess, it was about yeah. him, and it was so good. It was, yeah. Really, of course, I love uh, him. <laughs> also, I totally love Rich. <laughs> There's not much. He's to- a good egg and a very interesting guy. Yeah. So let's get into you. Where did you grow up? What? Where? Where did you start? The world. <laughs> I grew up in the uh, in Southern California. Uh, mostly all over the San Fernando Valley. I was born in the 1950s. So it was a different world then, very, very different. Um, So I was a a valley girl. And we never lived in one place very long during my childhood. I didn't have an ideal childhood. So we moved a lot due to uh, poverty, you know, or or not my parents. Did you understand that? Did you, when you were a kid, did you understand? Yeah. Oh, I knew very well that we were not the family that had stuff and that we were very different and so forth. But because um, I think during that time, it was, you know, people were so clean and pure and they had this, the, the ideal family unit was very prevalent and you didn't hear about a lot of people being divorced. and uh, But it, then again, I think people hid everything. So for for all uh, what, what it looked like to everybody, our family definitely didn't fit. <laughs> it was not, not a fun environment to grow up in or one I would have any child grow up in. 
So was there violence and things or was yeah. it just, yeah, yeah. yeah my, my father was a violent drunk and it was very ugly and, and not a, a good thing. Um, I think I knew early on that um, I had like a, a guiding voice that always spoke calmly and was, was this mature voice of reason that would say, even when I was four or five years old, don't pay attention to what they're doing, speaking about my parents. They don't know what they're doing. Don't copy them and don't believe them. So I think... For I don't a four-year-old to think like that is exceptional. I... I... I it's really difficult to explain this to some people and other people, they get it right away. But I knew that it's like I had been somewhere before. Like I was whole when I came here. And when I had a consciousness of being in my crazy family and looking at the insanity, I had a burning question constantly like, okay, how did I get here? I don't think I fit. And that wasn't, and I'm, I don't know if psychologically someone could say a person in an in abusive environment would think that way, or it truly was guidance. Mm -hmm. It always felt to me like there was something speaking to me and that I did not have to identify with the behaviors I watched. Mm, these siblings? Yes, I have. Uh, uh, I had two sisters. I, one of them has passed. She died when she was 37. Mm. She was a product of her environment and, and it was a very sad and tragic death at, at a young age because of drugs, alcohol, that lifestyle. So, um, and I ended up raising, having her three children after she passed, along with my How was that? Wow. It was crazy. <laughs> I don't recommend it. <laughs> no, I do. I love them. I would do it again in a heartbeat. That must have been an insane transition for the kids to, to go from, because I often say that it's, it's wild to me how different children in the same house can turn out. Oh, yes. Absolutely. So, um, and they, how old were the children when they came to be with you? Well, what's interesting is they were with me on and off from the time they were born because my sister never had a stable home for them. So I actually was their sanctuary. I was always the place that they got a good night's sleep. They were always fed well. I, got, I saw that they got to school. We had a calm environment and always a nice dinner on the table and you know I tried really hard to provide all of that for them and along with my daughter I have a daughter also so I had four of them and um I think I have a soft spot for I know I have a I can't say I think I know I have a soft spot for um people that are marginalized and can't do something for themselves and uh, weaknesses or beyond someone's control speaks to my heart. So I, during my life, I always had people I was helping. It just, it just seemed like that was 
it wasn't optional about who I was or am to this day. You, you, you give what you can. If you have extra, you give it. That's just. I also believe that we, if, if we're lucky and it sounds like you had, you sound like an old soul for lack of a better word. And I think for some, we seek to give what we didn't get. Absolutely. No question. No question about that, Susan. Um, I think that I was, I became the parents I didn't have to those that needed it, I guess. And so I, I just, I mean, I had a girlfriend that found herself in a position. She used to babysit for me and she also moved in with me and I helped take care of her. She found herself pregnant and alone. So I was, of course you stay with us. You stay with me. (laughs) And it was, and I've never regretted you know, loving people that I meet. Uh, it's just, it, it's just how I wish more people did that. So. Yeah. Were you, uh, did you move out of the house as soon as you hit uh, 18 or did you oh, leave before no. that? No, my mom deserted us when we were quite young. By the time, when I was 13 years old, she was living with a boyfriend and my parents were divorced by then. And I have stories that would curl your hair. It's like not believable. Um, I would believe them. Trust me. (laughs) There was a summer that my mom moved in with her boyfriend. She didn't even know. She said to my dad, you take he two of us, me and my younger sister. My other sister went somewhere else because we were all scattered wherever we could find a place to li- sleep, actually. So my dad took took care of us and, and took us with him, but then he would go on drunks and leave us in an apartment. And I guess he had a girlfriend that had a husband that was, had just gotten out of prison, and they came and kidnapped me and my sister. Oh and my was God. looking for us. And my dad was off drinking someplace and my mom didn't know where we were. So we spent a summer and I didn't really realize I was kidnapped at the time, but he did wear brass knuckles and he told us we had to do what he said. So, I mean, that was a clue, right? Was he abusive then as well? He was abusive to the uh, verbally, very verbally abusive. He didn't, he didn't lay a hand on me or my sister. Thank, Thank God. God. But I, I think at that time I was like, just be nice, no matter what. Be nice. Don't rock the boat. I, I, I was used to my father, like stay invisible. Don't get hit. My dad did hit me a lot. So I knew about being physically abused. So I was well aware of the traits by then. So I spent this summer just... You know, we got away and I called a girlfriend of mine that I had gone to school with near there and then snuck out of the hotel he'd had us. And he'd had us in a trailer at the beach for a long time. And I guess he had a bunch of stolen credit cards and who knows what. And I don't know what he wanted with us. I have no idea. But um, my um, since I called my girlfriend from the hotel, then then we got out. And then the FBI called her, and I had to talk to them. I guess this guy was really wanted for a lot of stuff. And I was like, oh, I just told him what I knew. And I think by the – so that's how life was. And then I stayed in a couple foster homes, and I usually took my my younger sister with me. And um, 
by the time I was 15, I lived on my own. I, I lied about my age, got a driver's license, uh, got my GED through. I was actually through the Neighborhood Youth Corps helped me, a United Way program at that time for underprivileged kids. And I graduated high school at 16 and, and then just lied so I could get a job and took care of myself ever since. Were your foster care experiences good or also bad? My mother did not tell the truth and did not put us in the foster care system. She just found people that would let us stay with them. And some of it was good and some of it was not good. So I just, you know, when you're raised like that, and I don't know what your, you know, you what I did is when as soon as possible, I will not count on uh, adults. I cannot right. count on adults to do the right thing or to be kind or to uh, be responsible. So I, like I said, at 15, I went to work full time. I got an apartment by on my own by the time I was 16. I went to work in a bank and then had the bank pay for my education to go to Valley College and got an, educated as much as I could at the time. And, and this was the 60s, early 70s then? or This was the early 70s, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so here I, I mean, it was, Susan, it was horrible. And at the same time, I just sort of would go, I'm going to do what I have to do. I just will do this. I, I, you know, I remember getting depressed and having those feelings of depression and thinking, when is something going to break? And you know, am I ever going to be able to just sleep and know that somebody has taken care of the bills and a roof over my head and see that I eat? And it didn't happen. Not for the longest time, you know, so until I got. So at 15, you're pretending to be 18. You have a full-time job and starting to go to school and, and I, taking care of your sister. Yep. Wow. That's a lot for a little kid. I mean, I, don't, I know that we we uh, romanticize 15, 16 years old and, and put some sort of a moniker of mature woman on them. I mean, obviously, we sexualize teenagers all the time to be adults. But in reality, a 15-year-old is a child. I know. I know. I don't. You know, when you come from that kind of background, your childhood gets stolen from you. You don't have a child. Mm. Nothing about it was a, in any way. It's sad. But, you know, in the other side, I am who I am, and I've become this person, whatever was nurture versus nature or spirituality, I don't know. But I don't know, I, I've often wondered, would I be different? Would I be a spoiled brat? Would I be some sort of a uh, B-I-T-C-H if, if I had... You can swear, it's fine. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> who knows if I could be some spoiled kind of a bitch if I if I um had had a different life I don't know. yeah but you know you you strike me as it's that thing you know if you grow up in a family where you feel like an alien where you look at your parents or even your siblings and you think I don't really understand how am I in this family I'm not like any of these people exactly I never even look like them I was small, a small, skinny redhead, the only one in the family. <laughs> I was out of place. 
So, yeah, it's really interesting. How did you, so what happened to those people that kidnapped you? Did they get arrested? I have no idea what happened Mm. because by then I'm on to the next place that I got to find shelter. Yeah. I had to find somebody to stay with. I mean, my girlfriends would tell their mom, can I stay over for a week? (laughs) It turned into two weeks and then they'd say, Shirley has to go home. Right. And I'd say, okay. And I'd go call another friend. When did you feel like you were on stable ground? You know, you're 15, you're doing stuff. I'm sure people are treating you like an adult because they think you're 18. Right. It was when I started getting a weekly paycheck and I knew how to spend the money and pay my rent and feed myself. And that felt great when I would, I mean, did it feel, I think I just lied because it did not feel great. I was lonely. I remember feeling too alone. That said, I felt safe. It was and I imagine you can't let people in because you can't share that secret. You are, you are maintaining this, this reality that no one can penetrate. Oh, no, you can't tell what, what has gone on. Because I was taught you never tell authorities what goes on in our home. You know, if the police get called, it was something else. Um, if you get hit, you don't tell anybody where you got the bruises. Um, and certainly by the time I had to fend for myself to tell the authorities would be bad is what I was taught, you know, that I would go to some God awful place. And yeah, I, I wonder now in retrospect, what, what would have been the right thing to do? I, I don't know. I think I, I just did what I did and it worked for me. Thank God. Yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah. And then Sounds very, very strong. And then my saving grace was when I found the circus. And, <laughs> okay. That sounds like, <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> I was working in a bank full time going to school. And a, I actually, a friend of mine told me about this guy that had this equipment out at by Hanson Dam. His name was Del Graham, and he had a circus act, a trapeze artist, and they say, come and you want to go watch. So I went to watch, and I was absolutely taken by it. I was, oh, I need to do this. I have to do this. And I was 16 by then. And so um, I asked and asked, and I showed up every day, and, and I said, can I just go up and swing? And so they let me do that, and next thing I know, I'm in, and in training, six hours a day, every day. After, after the bank closed, like, at 3 o'clock, and I guess I, I don't know what I did about schooling then. I think I worked out something on my days. So I just narrowed it down to two days a week or something. And so anyway, I ended up being a a full-time banker and part-time trapeze artist. And um, the, the bank I worked in was very supportive and they um, allowed me to take time off when we had a performance. (laughs) it's really good how long did it how long did it take you to master at the trapeze in order to perform well i worked out six hours a day every day pretty much a lot yeah within a year i performed 
I, I started performing after about a year. But it, it Do you even know your secret, how old you were? Or? Uh, oh, does every did any did anyone in the trape- in the circus no. know your secret? My best girlfriend did it with me. She knew, but she never told anybody. So they thought I was of age and could do what I wanted. And so I, we, we had an agent. We were an act, and we had an agent that booked us. So we would go on a gig that could last six weeks, a month, whatever the, the contract would be. Or sometimes just a weekend, like for – we performed like for the – the police academy league in San Francisco. They did a special event like at the Cow Palace in San Francisco or I toured with a, a circus in the Big Top and that was local. We traveled by bus and so yeah, it was so it was What was that life like? I mean, talk about for me I'm like, wow, so you go from this crazy lifestyle into the crazy lifestyle of the circus. <laughs> I love that. The the crazy to the crazy. Um, It was wonderful because I think that, first of all, the feeling of flying on the trapeze, I rose above everything, literally and figuratively. So it, my soul felt free. It just felt wonderful. And I did it for the passion of doing it. So I was so focused on just doing that, that the other things that came along with the lifestyle were incidentals. And it was just interesting to, to me. And I made connections with certain people, but it was what I, and, and then I, it always surprised me. I'm sorry, I'm kind of stuttering. No. It always surprised me that, you know, you, we go out, go up, perform, spotlight would be on us. We were always the feature act of any show. We were the top build. I'd get surprised when the lights would go down and I'd see the audience and they would be applauding like crazy. I didn't feel them when I was doing it. I didn't feel anything. So I think that that was my therapy. And I felt like I was also giving something to everybody at the same time but it still surprised me the gratitude that got shown so were you ever scared up there um i don't remember being scared maybe when i was first learning that i did also spanish web where you climb the the 30 foot rope and then do an aerial ballet from a loop and so now i guess They've changed it in modern times. You see in concerts what people call the silks. They, they, all of that stuff was exactly what I did. Those motions and that movement was what I did. When I was first learning that, I got really nervous. Like, what if my hand slipped or, you, you know, because you have to really hold on and you put a loop on your wrist and so forth. So, you must have a core of steel. (laughs) I was very strong. And I just knew that, um, I think I've learned this in life. I have fear, like everybody else, great fear. And I take my fear with me to whatever I'm doing. And even in performing, in my jobs, and everything I've done, and all my life, and all the crazy surgeries I've had, and illnesses, I take that fear and I go, we're going together and we're just going to do this. It's almost like the fear becomes a separate thing that I just put my arm around and go, we have to do this. Um, 
I don't let fear stop me too often. Unless it's a healthy, normal fear that I need, <laughs> you know. What what kind of uh, surgeries and and things like that? What health stuff? What's all that about? Oh, I had um, um, in in nineteen ninety seven. I had a horrible car accident, and my neck was broken, and my lower back was crushed. And my breastbone was broken. And I was taken by ambulance to the hospital and was told I would never walk again. I was paralyzed. And in the hospital, out of two, the first two years of my accident, I was inpatient for 18 months in the hospital. I had wow. multiple, multiple surgeries. So I really, again, had to overcome another obstacle in life and um at the time i had you know long time has gone by and i i had gotten married had a beautiful child raised kids and i went to work ultimately for the studios so i worked at sony pictures uh, is where i retired from and that's where i was working when this car accident happened and that kind of My life came to a screeching halt, of course, and I uh, persevered through that. And I had a near-death experience. I actually, my heart stopped during. Do you recall it? Yes, I do. And it's funny. I was just this morning. It occurred to me that there are times now, because it's been twenty more than twenty years. There are times I go, did that really happen? Yet, when I really remembered the details, I go, oh, yes, it happened. What are the details? What happened? Um, well, I'd been on, I'd had a, one of the surgeries I'd had, I'd been, it was about three months in to my hospitalization, and I already had the, the surgery on my neck, and they had to do more surgery on my lower back. And um, I guess... I think it started that I got what's called an ileus, where your bowel becomes paralyzed. And nothing, you end up with toxic poison in your system. And then I started, I guess I was losing a ton of blood. So I, my body just started crashing. And they were giving me transfusions. And I remember my, I mean, I don't remember. I was in and out of it. I was in intensive care when I came out of the surgery did I already say I was on the table like 13 hours? The surgery was a 13-hour surgery. Things went not so good, I guess. And um, so I knew that I was dying. I was well aware of the fact that I was dying. And I couldn't talk to anybody because I had tubes down my throat, in my nose, um, I had IVs hooked up on both arms and both legs. This is in recovery in the ICU? Yes. Yes, okay. And I had a tube coming out of my side to drain. Uh, I guess I was bleeding. It was pretty ugly. So I, I guess my, my hemoglobin dropped to a dangerous level. If you know anything medically, it was like six. It was at the place people die. 
people don't yeah. live with a hemoglobin of that level. They were giving me these uh, injections, and then they ran out of blood, and 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 I guess you know AIDS was still an issue. So my doctor said they wanted family members or people that I knew to come and donate for me. So as if that, you know, as if, you know, for sure, I just say always that, that protocol back then, there's no, just because someone's in your family doesn't mean they wouldn't be HIV positive. So I know, it's just, but they want somebody. I know. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. It was just, that's how it was. So they, they, yeah. they uh, uh, so anyway, while we were waiting for the, the, the blood to process, it took three days. Uh, it just, yeah, I was just having to hang on. And I, what I recall is keeping my eyes open as much as possible. Um, a lot of people came in to see me and it was very dramatic. And I, like I said, I couldn't speak. So I just would look at people and I was like, don't worry, don't worry. I was thinking all this stuff and staring at people and they were falling apart and crying. And it was really not, it was very difficult. And mm-hmm. um, my mind just kept saying, take another breath, take another breath, do not go to sleep. So I struggled all the time to keep my eyes open. And I would say, take another breath. And it hurt. I guess my, my, my heart rate stayed at a steady 160 beats a minute. That's and- insane. And my, yeah, and my blood pressure was about 80 over 30. Oy. And then that's my, a wild combo. <laughs> yeah, so I was really like, it took out of whack. Me. Yeah. And during that time, I had spiritual company. There were visitors in my room that other people couldn't see. What did you, who did you see? My sister, who had just died 18 months before. I saw mm-hmm. her all the time telling me stuff telling me all kinds of things. And I saw other entities that I did not recognize. And I was aware of presences in my room that didn't have human form, just like light beings. Was your sister telling you to hang on or was she telling you the you know, behind the veil sort of thing? She was just behind the veil just saying, I'm here. Yeah. And, and, and it was funny because the night before the surgery, when I was very much alive, I had asked my one of, I had 24 hour nurses because I couldn't do anything for myself and they would lift me and they could put me in a recliner chair. And I said, I need to see the outside. I hadn't seen the outside at all. Not nothing. I've been in a room and staring at the ceiling. So he lifted me up, took all the IVs and long story, you know, long. <laughs> It was, it was really, really emotional. So this wonderful caregiver lifted me up, put me in this special reclining chair with all my IV poles and took me to the, the, to the rooftop of the hospital. And the stars were out and it was a clear night and it was in, it was in spring. It was just um, before um, Easter. It was Easter weekend that all this happened. It was actually the Thursday that 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 night was. So, or somewhere around there, I'm sorry. It was somewhere near that day. Getting confused. But um, I looked up and there was, surrounded me, uh, surrounding me was a white butterfly. 
It kept flying around my head. And it was really large. It wasn't like the cabbage moths that we see. This was a gorgeous, and it felt like it was a fairy. And I looked at the stars, and I just started crying. I remember that. But I knew that there was a message in that butterfly because a voice whispered from this little creature to me saying, you may not live. You may come. Oh, you may cross. And it wasn't you're going to. It was you may not live. And I was like, okay, well, oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it was a beautiful experience nonetheless to, to be in that uh, I guess I must have been standing on the threshold of life and death, in between, even then. And then when it really hit, that I guess that, so I get out of surgery, I'm in ICU to get back, and I, um, I guess I closed my eyes, because the next thing I know, I'm, I was just like they say, I could see everything. I suddenly was hyper aware of everything around me. And the nurse that had been caring for me for more than two months already was with her head on my chest, crying. And she was like begging me to, to come back. And, and then I saw everybody in the hospital. I was aware of the people that were dying. I was aware of other, like, people I didn't know or beings that I did not know and beings that I did know. And I was being shown, and then suddenly I'm shown things. I look back in my room and I saw golden pillars all around my body. And I was... I asked, I said, what are, what are those? They were not there before I got out. Like, you know, you, you talk, but you don't talk. It's just a mental questions and they get answered. And the most beautiful thing that I love to this day is that I was told, that's everybody saying your name in prayer and love. That's, there is real energy in the planet. And it's, it's more real than what we hold. It's more real than, it's, and we just don't visually see it, but it's there all the time. And so I was moved so deeply by the fact that by saying another person's name in love, whether it be prayer or whatever you want to call it, you are actually sending something to them. In, it, and it's physical. So... <laughs> that was something that I practice and remember and visualize. So when, I, when somebody says they're doing something or going through a hard time, I close my eyes and I see this. And I send it to them. And I don't care if it's real or not. My experience was so, I mean, that was really critical. And then I remember I got very upset, and I'm looking at what I want to call Christ. Um, but I think he was the embodiment of all of the, like, let's say the keeper of the souls. The guy that you go through, or the, not even a guy. I, I, it was a male energy, I think, though. And um, 
And I started getting really upset. And I was like, oh, my God, this will kill my mother. <laughs> I loved where I was. I was so, like, it was home. It was home. And, but my, my sister had just died. And I, was, I hung on to my mom every day. I called her every day from the day my sister died because my sister was her baby of the family, the youngest. And I did not want my mom's spirit to be in danger. And so I started screaming at this God energy, uh, Buddha, Christ, whoever you want to call him, that it will kill my mom. Her soul would be in danger. That if I, so I, I really didn't think I could leave. And could I please, please, please go back? Because I did not want her to suffer anymore. And it was almost like I got told, you silly girl. It's almost like it was a giggle. You get to choose. You've always gotten to choose. And I'm always with you wherever you go. It's always been up to you. And I was like, and then I was in my body. And there was more that I was told, but Susan, this is like, and I, I also knew there was like, I saw a flash of what struggles I would be go, that I'd have to go through, that it was going to be a really rough road. That that couldn't change because of the physical world and the laws of physics and the way God made the planet. Law, there's certain things that can be overcome and certain things that just are for no explanation. So, so anyway, I, I came back with all kinds of knowledge and all kinds of uh, natural instincts and, and uh, connecting with people. And even after that, and my, my, my doctor said, you'll, you'll never walk again. And I said, well, I beg to differ with you. I'm going to walk again. And I, it's not that I have to, it's just that I'm going to because I saw it. So I did see certain things, and that's one of them that I was shown. So that was pretty powerful. There that's go. exceptional. Yes. Was your mother sober at that point? Yes. My mom wasn't the alcoholic, and she wasn't a diehard alcoholic. My mom drank every night. She was like the, you know, cocktail every night at five. But she didn't get drunk and obnoxious. It Got was it. My, father. my father was the bad one. But she took off because she didn't want to deal. She That's, couldn't deal, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How did I mean, that's, that experience would shift anyone, I would imagine, or at least I would hope. How did it change your human self after um, that? The I idea that, you know, where we are free-floating souls inside a human shell the sh human shell is the one that has to deal with all of this. Uh, exactly. We don't get to not be in here. Although we do have moments and there's tools that we can use to be outside of it. And the way I do it is I'll look directly in a face and I can see God in everybody's eyes. And I can also see very, very dark. I see darkness in other people too. That is really sad. And the, it didn't change me so drastically because I always had faith. From the time I was young, I had transpersonal experiences. Phenomena happened to me. I 
had premonitions. I had, like I said, the voice that kind of guided me. So I think I came from a spiritual place. I knew I was a spiritual being and I had guidance. And in that guidance, I sometimes was shown some pretty powerful, like weird stuff. Uh, uh, Psychic things would show up. So um, but after this experience, I think what changed is seeing pure love in as many things as I could. I mean, really knowing love. And I don't know how to, it's agape love, not the kind that we, not being in love or saying you love somebody because you're attached. It's true agape love. The pure, the purest kind. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I, the the one that is without condition, it loves for love's sake. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. Oh, Susan, it's so beautiful what you just said. Yes. Yes. So I, um, and I'm very, I believe me, I still have my ups and downs and crap and get cranky and, you know, because even after that, I was diagnosed with cancer and then it goes on and on. And I've had like 30 surgery sense and issues and near-death experiences again and again and again. Do you get more information every time that happens then? I do to a degree. The last experience, the big one I had, I got, I was pretty, I felt like I was beaten. I really felt beaten. Um, It was, it was pretty, I'd had to have a surgery on my neck again because once you've had, and I have a lot of metal in my body, and the uh, uh, above and below goes bad. It gets it. Oh, right. It's sort of like having, yeah, you need a upkeep, <laughs> like Tune a up. machine. Yes. <laughs> Tune up, like a machine. I mean, if you're made out of pieces that aren't, yeah, right. They wear, they wear down. And I've literally down. hardware taken out and new screws and rods and plates put in. So, and what kind of cancer did you have? It was thyroid cancer that had spread. So and, and that you're got in remission now. You're remission. Yes. yes, that's a really cool story. If you want another quick story, yeah, I, let's hear it. Um, my girlfriend had just died from breast cancer. She was forty some years old. I was in the hospital when she died, and it was I was the last person she spoke with. She was going through chemotherapy, and. Um, she needed transfusions on a regular basis. So a transfusion had gone bad and sent a clot to her brain and she died. But she called me from the ER. Thank God I, I was the last person she spoke to. And she got to, I mean, I got to tell her how much I loved her. And that was cool. So let's fast forward to a few months later. Um, I'm uh, at home for one of my times I was home from the hospital for a short period. It was about a year and a half after the accident. And I'd been in and out. I was able to spend time out of the hospital. And I wasn't feeling well. I remember I would get these weird little attacks where I felt like I was, like the ground was dropping out from underneath me. Although I was sitting in a wheelchair, it still felt like I was like losing my my ground. And um, I was having trouble talking and I had a lot of other, and I, my arms were hurting a lot, even though I was, it wasn't the same kind of pain that came with the injury I had, the spinal cord injury. 
So I fell asleep one night and suddenly I'm with Molly, my girlfriend, and she is wearing the most beautiful outfit. She's wearing a, 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 I mean, robe spun of gold. And she's looking at me. I'm going, Molly, Molly, oh, my God, it's so good to see you. You look beautiful. You look gorgeous. And she didn't say a word. She's just looking at me. And she sits me down in a place where there wasn't anything. I was like, in a place where there was nothing. And it's as if I was sitting, like, on a bale of hay in the middle of my feet dangling. It was very weird. And she's fitting me for sandals. And... And then she looked at me, and it was almost like she said, I will walk with you. Don't worry about it. You're going to beat the cancer. So I woke up, 4 o'clock in the morning. My symptoms got worse. I called my doctor, said something is wrong, and he goes, come to the ER. So I went to the ER. There was something wrong, and I forget what he found. Something for, was a reason to admit me. I think he found a blood clot <laughs> or something like that. It, it was I, This was a regular thing for me to have something go wrong and put me back in the hospital. So, and I told him, I said, Dr. Dr. P, I called him Dr. P, um, I have cancer. And he goes, what? And I said, I have cancer. I said, you have to find it. I don't know where it is. I told him about my girlfriend, Molly, and he said, honey, you know, I've known you for a while now. He goes, you're nuts. <laughs> and I said, no, I have cancer. We, we, we do have to find it. I think time is of the essence. And uh, so he was checking because of my headaches and getting, like, faint. He did a CAT scan to see if the hardware had shifted in my neck, and he saw a tumor. And then he uh said... This is even more strange. He said, um, oh, it's a little nodule on, the, on your thyroid. They're normal. I'm sure it's nothing. And he was an endocrinologist. And I'm like, no, that's it. I said, biopsy that thing. I said, please, I really want a biopsy. And he goes, well, I don't think you need a biopsy. And I said, yeah, we do. So every day I had to have some other surgical procedures done. And I had, I don't know if that was, I don't think that's, I had a filter put in to catch blood clots in my vena cava. And I don't know, I had a bunch of things. Oh, they took a box out of my back that they had a, a metal uh, bone stimulator. So my bones would grow back. And so that had to come out and we were busy doing all kinds of things. And I remember I was in like a pretty, serious critical care but i don't i mean it, 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 there's so many hospitalizations anyway also the brain has a, a funny way of allowing you to not remember some of those things too clearly so that you don't have to keep reliving trauma it's a very specific function of the brain right that is a thankful uh function <laughs> that you're right that that is but i was always like pretty I was all, even though I was, you know, very thin and very sickly looking, I was always just glad I was alive every day, every day. And uh, it was all okay with me. And because I chose to be here. Remember, by then I'd already had the NDE, but I knew Molly was with me, my girlfriend. And um, so I finally talked him into doing the biopsy, and he does the biopsy. 
Next thing I know, he calls me and he, he couldn't talk. My doctor couldn't talk. He was so upset. I said, Dr. P, are you crying? <laughs> he said, well, I don't want to. No. And he go, I go, I have cancer. It's okay. Tell me what I need to do. And like I consoled him, I, it was the most weirdest experience. Because he'd been saving my life every night. He was called every night while I was going through all the other things. They'd call and say, she's crashing. This is happening. That is happening. And, uh, from his perspective, I'm sure he's like, what more does this woman have to go through? It's like, we've got her to this point, And now she has to fucking get cancer. And he has to say, you have cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't a simple cancer. He was wrong about everything. So I had to see a surgeon right away. And I got, anyway, long story short, here I am. <laughs> Cancer's gone. It's gone. And it, I, I was in isolation because it had spread some and had to uh, get have the thyroid removed. And going through it was like I would never want anybody to go through it. It was hard. It was really sucky. And there was times I hated it. What was going on with your relationship through all this? If you were, you know, you, you were married during the accident and all that. And how did things? I wasn't married. Oh, you weren't. I think you said your husband and your. I was married. I got divorced. Well, did that happen during your recovery for the car accident, or did the? I had divorced way. We only stayed with the car. Yeah, before okay. every. Yeah, I we were only okay. together seven years, and then we okay. got divorced in 1982. No. When you learned, I I can't see you from the waist down. Did you, in fact, are you able to walk? Yep. Oh, look at you. Good girl. Love it. I, I do use a cane to keep my balance. And uh, I do walk. It's not easy, but I do it. I can't go long yeah. distances. But around the house, I'm good. And I, even my performances I did at Second City, I would always hide the cane. And all the uh, my, my castmates would always just, I say, if I hold you, if I grab your hand, just let it be part of our scene. And they always covered for me. I love that. Yeah. So I, I, uh, um, yes, here I am. <laughs> it took a couple of years and a lot of hard work. And here you are. So where are you now? Where, where are you in the grand scheme of your life? Do you feel? I'm a grandmother. I, I improvisation is what I love doing. I work with Rich. I did my grad review just recently with Second City and did my the first online grad review program actually that they've done. Uh, Josh Joshua Funk was our director and it was a whole lot of fun and I'm still doing programming with them and I'm in a lot of other activities activities and we did a short film recently with Carolyn and it entered it in a ton of contests and it's won a ton of awards and it's about where Canadian it, Carolyn no her name the is Carolyn I know but Carolyn Bridget Kennedy uh is the not the same yeah sure. yeah we did the yes yeah, we yes I know her she's from Canada right yes she's not from Canada yeah yes. I know her she and I did a couple of the conservatory classes we did the grad review together and got it. she produced and we did this film and we've all, I got my SAG card from it and it's won a ton of awards from. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's called masks. M-A-S-K-S. 
by Carolyn Bridget. You can find it on YouTube. It's real easy. It's a very cute little video that we did. She's really kicking butt too in her her stuff. Yeah. She's really cool. So we're staying together and we're writing new material. Oh, that's great. But we're going to be doing another, like a sketch show, I guess. And we're going to produce it and, you know, just for the sake of itself. I mean, why not? If you want to get things done, you do it yourself. That's my motto. (laughs) So, yeah, that's what I, I mean, I did spend 15 years from when I started walking again until recently where my brother ended up with a brain injury and I became his guardian. And took oh, care no. of them. In Portland, I lived, and I, I moved up there. So that's what I – and now I'm doing this because I have freedom again. I was – I spent 15 years taking care of him, and then my mom got bre- breast cancer and Alzheimer's, so I moved her in with me too. Even while you were recovering yourself, you were caring for others. Yeah. Yeah, they needed it. And I had gotten – I was walking again and kind of able to function, still would go in and out and take care of myself. But my, my brother had – so he had a massive brain hemorrhage. Oh, so boy, yeah. He needed – and he was in the military, so I took care of him. And I'm still his guardian, but I, he's in a, they're in assisted living now. And my mother, she's 91. And so did – your, Did your brother recover any of his brain function after that? Not much. He's yeah. He's happened to my brother. My eldest brother had a massive aneurysm, and he uh, learned to walk and talk again and things. But oh, you know, it, it certainly changed the yeah. the bulk of his life. I had a cerebellar stroke on top of everything after Jesus. I was walking. I started walking again, and then I ended up with a cerebellar. I don't know if you know what a cerebellar yeah. stroke is. It doesn't act like a stroke in the front of your brain. It acts. It's your central nervous system. Your heart rate, everything. It was undiagnosed, and I was in the hospital for a couple months again. And during that time, I knew I was fighting something, and I didn't know what it was. They had every doctor coming to see me, every heart, because my heart was malfunctioning. And, and they had done a CAT scan but missed the stroke because CAT scans don't show a cerebellar stroke, apparently. So they were just treating every symptom and I was getting worse and worse. So I mean, it was like an episode of house. (laughs) It was unbelievable. Yeah. And I was so frustrated and that, that was a a kind of a rough period also. But what happened is um, I had had, I'd also, my, my left arm had frozen and I couldn't move it at all. My shoulder was in severe pain and it was swollen and it had literally frozen. So much so that if I even moved a finger that much, it was excruciating and I'd be in tears. So they had me on drips of morphine and all kinds of stuff. And they didn't know. And they said they took like two MRIs and they said, nothing's wrong with your arm. Your your arm is fine. And I'm like, oh, no, there's something wrong with it. And um, so I went in one last time to have an MRI on something else. I don't remember what I was getting it for, but it was for a different, a different um, procedure because they were doing every test. I, I prayed with all my heart. When I, as soon as I went in the tube, I started praying, God, God. This is a a weird one. I don't know what I'm fighting. Please show me what I'm fighting. 
I don't know what, I mean, I can take what life hands me, but if I don't know what it is, please show me. So, and I, and I remember my words were very clearly, have mercy on my soul. And I said it from my bones, from my marrow, from every part of me. And in that MRI tube, Susan, it turned black and then it turned lapis. And then there was a spark of light and another spark of light and another spark of light. And behind it all, I saw a, a demonic face. Then the next thing I know, I had angels appear. I mean, literal, it was Michael, Raphael, Gabriel in full glory and told me that not only was I fighting a serious illness, but there was entities because I had pureness and love and I'd been out that I was a threat. And I was like, I'm not Catholic. And then I saw Virgin Mary in the background. I said, I don't even know about this stuff. But I was like, the most, that to me was the most beautiful place I've been. It was pure, the color blue, the sparks. And it's like a spark lit. And then comes a being that had never been a human. The flawless skin, if you've seen them, I know you have. Not a pore. And golden living beings in the, it's a living entity in the, what they wear or don't. Un, I, I just, it's like amazing. So I don't know. I, and, and they told me, that spirits get into electronics and that they'd been screwing with all my tests. And that's why nothing was showing up. And to get my, that I, my left arm was severely damaged and needed attention and to have them redo it, that every time they programmed their equipment to do this one, it was taking pictures of my right. So I told the technician this. And he repeated it, and he went back and looked at all my films. He said, oh, my God, you're right. And I told my doctor, and I said, even the x-rays you took are not of what you ordered. There's something in the working, and then a whole bunch of stuff happened after that. Did they believe you when you go to those kinds of conversations? Did the, oh, no. Did the <laughs> no, I wouldn't think so. Every no, once in a while, you might like like Crazy, and, and then they get the report. When they got the right one done and it came back and he goes, how did you know that? I go, Dr. P, remember Molly? I told you I had cancer. You didn't believe me. And so he, and he is a religious man. Mm. So he believe he's gotten to where he believes me now. How did they find the, the cerebellum? Oh, that was your say. It was a, an MRI of my brain. Show they up. found it. They, later, so it did later. show up. Yeah. yeah much, much later. But they, wow. I did get my arm diagnosed, and I uh, I ended up with surgery. They had to open my whole shoulder up. It was literally frozen, and there was nothing left in there. And it was severely, um, I don't know, bone spurs, and there was like a sure. fracture. 
that had like the it had gone up and over the collarbone, I guess. So here I was. I mean, I literally everything I was telling them was real. And then I had this night that it that an angel sat in my room at the hospital and talked to me all night, telling me. I was like, "Are you real? I don't even know if you're really here." I mean, they are giving me a morphine drip, and I said it to him. And he goes, "Well, I'm going to prove I'm real." And every alarm in my room went off. They love electronics. <laughs> and then the the nurse comes in, and nothing had been plugged in. Nothing, yeah. and they were working, not even plugged in. So it was like she said, "That's not possible." She said, "What the? What's with your equipment? The, the stuff is wrong. We're going to get new equipment in here." My oxygen, the the my heart monitor went haywire, and so then the this guy that apparently has been with me my whole life, like a guardian, I guess he's like my angel guy. And it's a guy, older man. This was talking to me like crazy about what I needed to do and to hang in there, and I was told to write. You know, so, and sometimes I think I'm nuts. You're not. I don't think you're nuts. I don't know. That matters. Most people think I'm nuts. So we can be, you know. No, you're not at all. I know. I know I'm not. <laughs> I, 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 have, I am a very grounded individual in the things that I know. I don't expect anyone to believe me. And I don't care if they do or not, to be honest. Other than it might open people up for feeling a little better about why we're all here. But that's not my job you know so you just you just said verbatim verbatim i mean that's identical to what i say to everybody i go if you want yeah. to talk about it i'll talk and and i say you don't need to i say exactly the same thing you don't need to believe me you don't need i don't i it's not my job to make you believe or not believe we're whispering too whether or not they hear us <laughs> exactly oh my god you're so sweet <laughs> So what's the plan next, Shirley? What's uh? Well, what's I, I I I enjoy my grandson to no end. I still enjoy just people. COVID has kept me locked. I just recently had surgery get on my hand. I have to have it on the other hand, and you know it's maintenance. And I'm not I'm no spring chicken anymore either. You know I'm. You look fantastic. I'm 64. You would never know it. I mean I. I you look great. So whatever Thank you, you oh as a cyborg, you're doing very well. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my goodness. Maybe there's enhancement on the zoom or something. No, I don't think <laughs> so. I, I, I believe me. I've thought about, I've never had, you know, like, you don't need it. You look fantastic. But I wouldn't because I've had too much surgery. I'm like, I'm not choosing to do this. <laughs> I will no. never choose to go in and have anything done. I don't like him. I don't like feeling pain. Thank you. I, I understand. And your your skin is flawless. Oh God. Especially as a redhead, you're very lucky because obviously they can burn much more easy and all that stuff. I think I stayed out of the sun. I knew early on that it wasn't yeah. my friend. That yeah, I had a ton of freckles and uh, burn real easy. So I spent my life not being a sun worshiper. So maybe or genetics. I that know. helps. Genetics. Yeah, my friend, my best friend Ellen stays out of the sun. She looks quite young. Her skin is flawless as well. So yeah, yeah. I think that is yeah. 
that's a big a big help i think staying away from even though i love the sunshine i know it's bad, it's bad and it's good it, it has its benefits but i would digress how might people find you if they want to check out your improv or your acting or any of that kind of stuff and when are you writing your memoir you must oh, no, write I, I started working on it a million times i have a dear friend that calls me regularly and i've got it in pieces all over the place and i'm it's just it's it's not even close to being done however it's been it's a pro it's something that's in the works and maybe i don't have my complete story yet is what i think and so i've written out a lot of highlights of my life and insights and you know personal growth and the, the way i see things uh, that has helped me get through it all and i would read your book so that's that's, uh, that's that i say get to it yeah, <laughs> i know how hard it how hard it is to write a book I get it but I think your life is extraordinary I've been I've been I've had it you know my life has been a, a mixed gift and it's been I wouldn't trade anything because within everything I've told you there's been some god-awful things but I do believe in physics so for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction so as dark as it's been, I've had the equal measure on the other side of light. I've seen the kindness in, the, in people that is beyond understanding and loving and, and greatness and good things. So I guess that's my lesson is that for as ugly as things can get, nothing stays the same, it will change. And on the other side is always that greater level of joy. So, yeah, so that's, sorry, I got a little speechy there. I'm, no, it's fantastic. I'm glad you're on the planet. I think we forget in our everyday life, well, certainly we forget the love part. Yes. Um, and I think the perseverance, it gets hard to, to hold on to the perseverance part as well. Right. So having people like you around who can say I have I have been to the other side and I come back with this message right I hope it I hope people listening you know maybe it pulls them through another day hey, well that's what I always hope for if there's anybody that's why I've reached out and found whatever shows up on my door or whoever shows up on my door be it an animal or a person I I, if I have it in my power, I will give. That's just, I'm compelled to do that. And um, it doesn't feel like it takes from you when you do that. It seems like you are, you feel like you have a lot of replenishing energies. Always. There's, it's not a, there, it's not a, we aren't given a finite amount of kindness in our, we're in it inside of us. There is no, it, it doesn't say, okay, you've used it all up. <laughs> it's always, there's always more. And oh, oh and I wanted to, I, I have an IMBD page also. And, and it's just Shirley Wayness. I'm on Facebook. I've got, uh, I, we're putting some new stuff up on YouTube, but I don't have that channel yet. So, yeah. yeah that, I'll put links for everyone too on heyhumanpodcast.com. Yeah. There'll be links that will... Uh, send them to you as well. Yeah, and I did a, a video 
with on Rich Baker coaching on I he interviewed me about uh, I don't I want to say a year or so ago year and a half ago maybe I'll find that too then yeah yeah I can I'll email you the links I've got to uh, videos and in my show my Second City program I'll send you the link to watch that on Vimeo okay great yeah perfect yeah how was the doing the the, the grand review on on Zoom was that was it awkward or was it okay. At first it was, but I was in it. I was going to see that thing through. And a lot of people dropped out because they were afraid of Zoom. But as you're using it, I find that it's just a new way to connect with your scene partners and with the people you work with. It's yeah. just, it's, um, we're doing it face to face, literally, instead of on a stage. And it was new to find out what we can do. Um and it was different and challenging, of course. But, I mean, I'm really glad that I've done it because I've also been able to improvise with people all over the world. That I never, yeah. That's I mean, fun, I just met you because of Zooming. Yeah. Um, it's fun. And I tell everyone, this is such a great way to get out of your own way because there's no time to get stuck in your head. And there is, in my opinion, such joy in the sketch and in the improv, especially the improv, because it is akin to being on a high wire. Yes. Well put. You know, and it's, I, I enjoy it very much. Shirley, thank you. This has been really my honor and your, your life's story so far is it's um, inspiring. Well, I hope I, I I gave you something interesting and that you could feel a little better and warm fuzzies in your heart while we talked because that's what I, it's meant. I mean, and I and of course I'm <laughs> I get tears in my eyes. I'm very touched. It was you made a- me cry. So <laughs> <laughs> that the, the golden pillars thing uh, that really got me for sure and. Um, I do believe that there is an infinite source of the good things yeah. in the universe. Uh, and we just have to remember to, to draw on that. Yes. It's, it's, I, I say often that the life that we live is an experience of remembering who we are, the truth of who we are. Beautifully said. That we're, we're born and we maybe forget. And some of us get whispered to. I think that's along the way. But but for those of us that forget how to hear it or um, don't know how to develop those skills or whatever or have uh, an exceptional experience that that creates a a, a reason for that the whisper, um, there are people along the way to remind us to go hey, you know what this there are things there are bigger things I'm not saying it well I'm fumbling over I think myself it's beautiful. <laughs> you, you are absolutely telling me we're kindred kindred spirits Susan because I've started this saying from when I was young I was whispered to and that you said it that way it's like you get it you you I get you I get everything you're saying and you put it perfect (laughs) thanks and I I too think we are kindred spirits I'm I'm looking forward to meeting you in real life me too me too thanks for listening everybody bye bye <laughs> Thanks, Shirley. Bye. Bye, sweetie. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or 
wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.